Good evening or good morning, Los Angeles. Welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher, and I will be your host tonight for the next hour as we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I am joined in studio tonight by my good friend, Mr. Daniel Adrian. How you doing, Daniel? I'm blessed to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being here up late and uh, always a great guest to have on the show. Daniel is a, a wealth of knowledge. Um, him and I are both members at the Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance, California, the sponsor of tonight's show. And we would like to just send out an invitation to you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in Torrance, California. Look us up online, branchofhope.org. We'd love for you to to be there at our church, to come visit, and um, just say hello. You know, let us know you're there if you want to come visit. My name's Jason, and, and Daniel will be there as well. We have a great pastor, Pastor Paul Vigiano. He's on KKLA every Sunday morning at 10. So if you can't make it in person, you can always hear him on there. Uh, Apologetics.com is a listener-supported ministry. We just want you guys to know that you can, if you'd like to support us, go online to make donations there, apologetics.com, just go to give. We don't take any you know, of the proceeds. All the proceeds basically go to supporting the inner workings of the radio ministry and funding you know, airtime. The hosts and stuff don't take any, any salary from that. So all of your money really goes straight towards you know, getting this message out to the masses here on KKLA. On you know Apple Podcasts, go to apologetics.com, radio show and Apple, or find us online apologetics.com. If you'd like to reach me, you could email me directly at jason at apologetics.com. And that's about it. We will be discussing tonight apologetic lessons that we can glean and learn from the book of Acts. If you are familiar with the New Testament. The book of Acts is all about action, really. That's kind of how I how I think of it. You know, Daniel and I were talking earlier tonight, and Daniel kind of just highlighted the fact that Acts is really an inspired record of what the early church looked like. And since it is the inspired Word of God, since it is recorded for us in in Scripture, we can basically use that as a true biblical model of how we want to live our lives when it comes to evangelism, when it, be, when it comes to outreach, and when it comes to apologetics. And so tonight we're going to look at some of the different methodologies used by Peter, used by Paul, and used by the early church in general as they went about fulfilling the Great Commission and making disciples of all nations. You know, what can we learn from them that will help us today to engage the culture around us? You know, we're not really in the business of creating new methodologies. We're not trying to be, you know, creative. We're not trying to invent something new and improved, you know, some some gimmick. We want to use the Holy Spirit inspired methodologies that we see right there in the word of God. That's where True power is going to lie. You know, it's not in our, you know, human wisdom. It's not in our human argumentation. You know, the Apostle Paul was clear about that when he came to the Corinthian church. He came in weakness and fear and in much trembling is what he said. Um, you know, just preaching Christ and him crucified and not with lofty arguments and the wisdom of men. And so we want to kind of, you know, follow in those footsteps and 
not rely on anything in myself or in Daniel or in the hosts here, but really just to rely on, you know, preaching Christ and him crucified and what that looks like. And as we're talking to different people, you know, in our lives, I think there's important biblical principles that we'll see tonight and hopefully help unpack for you to help you be a better witness, a better apologist. Um, you know, First Peter 3.16, kind of one of the charter verses for apologetics. It says to honor in your hearts Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So we hope to encourage you and equip you in that regard as we you know, bring these shows to you each week and you know, discuss various topics related to the Christian faith. With, with that, I did want to throw out our number. If you would like to give us a call, you know, our lines are open all night. Daniel and I would love to chat with you if you have questions about the Christian faith, about the Bible, you know, just about, you know, anything really in general as it relates to religion um, or apologetics. We'd love to take your call, and you could reach us at 888-995-5552. That's 888-995-KKLA. So, Daniel, I'll kick it over to you. Um, how You know, what when you think of the Book of Acts— you know, as it relates to apologetic methodology, you know, evangelism, so on and so forth, you know, what what do you think is important to kind of, you know, ground listeners in, you know, and as we're gleaning, you know, kind of apologetic methodology from the book of Acts? So, yeah, we as we spoke about why Acts, first of all, and you touched on this, but the idea is, you know, it's a narratival history. It's a it's story form true true story but it's in a story a form of stories a history of what the earliest church does and if we're looking at what the earliest church does they're going to give us both hopefully mostly positive examples thank god <laughs> mm-hmm. but also negative examples of what not to do in the case of Ananias and Sapphira which may be on this beyond be beyond, be beyond the scope of this particular show but we're not to be hypocrites in our mm-hmm. apologetics but a lot of times on the show we we will talk about uh, the relationship between evangelism and apologetics and yeah. the fact that in sharing the gospel, you're going to have to defend the faith that the gospel, you know, if the Lord you, you, authors it in you, engenders in you, right? It's the faith that is the gospel. It's the believing, the trusting, the faithing in the gospel that's born of the gospel, right? That comes forth from the gospel. So there's going to necessarily be this this feedback loop in mm-hmm. which as you share the gospel, you're going to have to defend it, and you're going to have to Absolutely. defend the other things you believe. And uh, I think Acts gives us a helpful way of integrating those two in the in the form of being witnesses, that we bear mm-hmm. witness to the truth. We bear witness to Christ, bear witness to his gospel. So if the audience has their copies of God's Word and wants to look with me brief, briefly at Acts 1, verse 8, it says, uh, and 9, Acts 1, verses 8 and 9, The Lord says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Mm -hmm. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. That's far the reading of God's holy word. So literally right before he ascends to where he's sitting, even right now at the right hand of his father, he tells... His 
disciples to be witnesses to the uttermost part of the earth. And mm. that commission, Amen. that recommissioning or re restating of the Great Commission is ongoing. That continues on until Christ's bodily return. So though we're not apostles, we are witnesses. We do bear witness to him and his truth. And in doing that, we proclaim, we positively state the gospel, and then we defend any attacks against it apologetically. We provide a defense for what we believe for our faith. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And as we do that, as Daniel's saying, as we go out and we become witnesses and we're testifying of these things, it will lead to apologetics. We will have to defend the faith. We will come up against questions. We will come up against, you know, well, you know, why should we believe the Bible or— you know, isn't there, isn't the Bible just written by men? You know, so many different questions, you know, you can't even predict what people will, you know, come up against, you know, when you're out talking to people. So one of the greatest encouragements would be to just get out there and start sharing, get out there and start talking to people about the gospel, um, the Bible, salvation, eternal life, and you will necessarily come up against questions and you might always, you might not always have the answers, you know, and, and that's okay. You know, I don't want you to think that you need to have all the answers because no one ever will um, before you start engaging with people. And so we did want to ground – I want to ground a few kind of biblical principles for this witness evangelism that Daniel's talking about, you know, being witnesses um, and testifying. And so there's a few, you know, great, great points in the book of Acts that I think highlight some things that all of us can be encouraged by. Um, Acts 4.13 says this, when they, meaning the religious people of the day, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Okay, that's Acts 4, verse 13. And so the first thing, as you seek to become a better apologist, you know, a better evangelist, is that we need to be spending time with Christ, right? These were unschooled men, right? They didn't have big fancy degrees. A lot of them were fishermen, you know, uneducated, but they had spent time with Christ. And so we need to be spending time in God's Word, which is spending time with Christ, right? And we need to be spending time communing with Christ, with God the Father, in prayer, you know, and I think this courage, this boldness, right, is is directly linked to spending time with Jesus, right? These men lived with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They saw Jesus, you know, crucified. They saw him, you know, resurrected. And they watched Jesus interact with the world around them, right? Jesus' entire ministry, you know, the last three and a half years or so of it was these 12 men following him, watching him as he preached to the woman at the wells, he preached to crowds as he preached on the seas of Galilee, as he fed, you know, 5,000, you know, men, and all of these things, right? They watched him do this, you know, day in and day out. And so what do they do is they just imitate him. So we need to be spending time with Jesus. And I don't know if you want to you know, add on to that, Daniel. Yeah, uh, it's in communing. It's in communing with Christ and walking closely with Him, and our heavenly Father, our Father who art, which art in heaven, uh, that we will be more equipped. Uh, it's the ordinary means by which we are more and more equipped, and we are ever more equipped 
uh, by the Holy Ghost, right? It's in the power of the Spirit that we do these things. So the only way that an unlearned and ignorant man is going to be taught is by our inward teacher. The Holy Ghost is our inward teacher, right? He teaches mm. us the contents of the Word of God. When we're reading, we're asking for the Spirit to illumine the text, to, to make it full of light, right? We're, we're dark with our natural eyes. Give us the eyes of faith. Open our eyes mm-hmm. and we, the, be, so that we may behold wondrous things from His law. So it's in mm. reading the Word and, and being utterly dependent on the Spirit and praising God, worshiping God, and praying, speaking to God, mm-hmm. that you're going to develop this, this close communion, this close walk, this familiarity, this having been with Jesus that's mm-hmm. going to inform not only what you do in defending the faith and sharing your faith, but everything you do. Yeah. You're, you know, you're, you're being a brother or sister in Christ, you're being a husband, you're being a father, whatever your vocation, mm-hmm. it's going to inform all of that. So what's beautiful about this is it's an ordinary part of our Christian life. This is not... This is not an optional extra, and nor is it only set aside for the few. This is for all of us to do, mm-hmm. and it's a way by which God grows us and teaches us and draws us nearer to himself, as you know better than a lot of people, I bet. Amen. Yeah, I would just you know encourage people, too, that, you know, just from personal experience, there's been so many times, you know, as, you, as I go out and I talk to people and share the gospel with people, witness to people, where— Something I might might have been reading that week, you know, in the scriptures, you know, comes to my mind or whatever is relevant in a conversation I'm having with someone. And it just reminds me of the sovereignty of God. You know, he goes before us in, in every every time we open our mouth, you know, to speak of him and testify um, of the gospel. You know, he ordains all of it and he sovereignly, you know, will bring you and bring the right people to you. And whatever you are, you know, by spending time with Christ in his word on a regular basis, he will use those things. You know, you'll see that, you know, the more you go out, the more you'll see, wow, God used what I was just reading this morning or earlier this week. You know, it comes right right into play when you're talking to someone about the gospel. So be encouraged, you know, and, you know, when you read your – when you have your devotionals in the morning or in the evening – you know, just know that like God is, that is not going to be wasted. You know, if you're out there sharing and talking, you know, and ministering to people, God's going to take what you're, what he's teaching you in those quiet times, you know, and, and they'll come, it'll come into, into play, you know, at, at in ways you, you can't even imagine. And it's just beautiful to see that and just kind of, it makes you just want to, you know, glorify God and praise him, you know, that he's, He's using you, you know what I mean? Um, he's glorifying himself, you know, in the way he ordains things. So the next thing that we can see from the book of Acts as it relates to our public witnessing, you know, and testifying is that evangelism is both a public and a private affair. And as Daniel was mentioning, you know, it's it's a daily thing. It's a, it's a part of our daily lives, you know, whatever vocation, whatever calling God has placed us in. And so Acts 5.42 We read this, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So a couple things there, day after day, right? It's it's all the time, you know, it's a regular thing, regular part of their lives, you know, and it's, where is it happening? It's happening both in the temple courts, which is a more formal kind of religious setting, 
right? And from house to house, right? A more, you know, private setting. So it's public, private, um, and they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Um, so just keep that in mind. You know, this should be a part of our regular lives, and we should be doing it both publicly and privately, right? And they were simply, if we remember, they were simply doing what they saw Christ doing. You know, Jesus, as we mentioned, he preached, you know, in the open air. He preached on the Sea of Galilee to thousands and thousands of people. But he also ate with people. He was in people's homes where he continued to minister, to testify, to to evangelize, to call people to repent and believe. And so after three and a half years with Christ, he was gone. He had ascended to heaven. You know, he had given them this commission, and they just continued doing what they saw him doing. Yeah, it becomes a habit of life. It's it's part of the rhythm and the pattern of your life. And I really like that you point out the private and public dimensions and the regularity of it. But I think also in this you see something that we often talk about uh, on the show as well, which is internal and external apologetics and evangelism, right? Mm. So we're we're being evangelized every time we sit under gospel preaching, uh, and then mm-hmm. we're and we're evangelizing outside of the meeting houses, outside of our church buildings, right? So that's there's mm-hmm. an internal extension, uh, and excuse me, an internal and an external dimension to to evangelism. So of course, as we've been talking about in witness bearing and bearing witness to the truth, mm-hmm. that means that there has to be an internal and an ex- and external uh, dimension to our apologetics. And we were talking about this in yeah. terms of how you know people within the Christian community interpret some of these passages that we're going over, mm-hmm. right? So that would be internal apologetics. If we're defending what we believe that the Spirit has taught us from His Word mm-hmm. to be true, that's the internal side. Whereas if I'm talking to someone who renounces Christ as fully God and fully man, now I'm doing external, right? Mm. Outside of our community, our faith community, apologetics yeah. and evangelism. So uh, I think that, you know, when you're de- daily in the temple, you're probably going to be talking to Jews who are having trouble grappling with the reality of Jesus as their right. Messiah. Yeah. And house to house, that's probably the people who've more likely come alongside and said, oh, yeah, let me hear more of this at least. Yeah. At least they were more receptive to the message if they haven't fully uh, been caused to embrace it. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think it's it's— it's important to reiterate that this is normal. This is just part of this becomes part of the warp and woof, the pattern, the rhythm of our life. It's a habit of right. life. And uh it's 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 just so a it's such a joy as you said. I mean, we have this this we have these seasons, these times, these regular times of public and private worship and family worship and those inform mm-hmm. our bearing witness to the truth, are testifying to the truth of the scriptures. Because mm-hmm. as you said, we're communing with Christ. We're, com- we're walking more closely by walking according to his word and walking circumspectly. So by doing these things, by, by engaging in regular private family and public worship, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're equipped by the Spirit to go out and, and do these tasks. These are duties, but they're honors, they're privileges, as well as duties. This is, it's a great, it, it's, a, it's a tremendous, unfathomable mystery that one such as me would be used in sharing the gospel yeah. and defending yeah. the faith. Yeah, one such as you. You know, I'm amazed that God would use Daniel. Exactly, you know? should be. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it's true of all of us, right? Um, Daniel... You know, I was just thinking about this. 
I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too, we read the scriptures and we see Paul, right? Or we see, we see Peter or we see even the Old Testament saints, you know, and I think just because they're in the scriptures, right? We're, they're in the inspired word of God. We tend to think Paul was some sort of like a super Christian, right? That he had some superpower that we don't have. I think sometimes we read the Bible as if it's like, it's like a Marvel comic book in a sense. And what I mean by that is that these people have like special powers that the rest of the world doesn't have. And I think Christians fall into that trap sometimes. They think, well, the Apostle Paul was, you know, he had that road to Damascus experience. And he, you know, these people were filled with the Spirit in like a way that we never will be. Like, can you, you know, maybe speak to some of that a little bit? Do you know what I'm saying? You know, and maybe try to encourage people that they were just men. You know, Paul said, you know, he came in weakness and fear and much trembling. You know, he wasn't like, you know, some special power, you know, some special filling of the spirit that we don't have today. Yeah, um, we have the same faith. We have the same spirit. Uh, what the Spirit does is he sovereignly administers and gives gifts severally as he wills, right? He he dispenses gifts according to the sovereign will of God. So it's not for us to do anything but praise God for gifts given to other men. Uh, it would be preposterous for us to look at a beautiful person and say, well, that person's a Christian and God has given them this gift of beauty and I'm not beautiful so I can't be a Christian, Right. Right. Uh, or intelligence or whatever you value. Mm-hmm. Right? So this very intelligent yeah. person. No, it's not that. It's, uh, you know, Paul was burdened and he was commissioned to particularly advance this gospel and this kingdom among the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we're commissioned by our Savior through, through the church. Yes, under the church, under the teaching function of the church. But under the teaching function of the church to to give the gospel to the whole world, to disciple the nations, teach all of the nations. So we get taught, and then we mm. in turn teach. And you know, as a those of you out there who are blessed to be fathers, you you learn, and a big part of what a big part of why God had you learn all of this stuff is for you to give that to your children, give Amen. the good stuff to your children, and teach them and equip them. Our Father. In a, in a perfect way, in an infinitely greater and perfect way, equips us and gives us what we need according to his will in the measure that he's foreordained to go out. And we were speaking earlier as we were driving in, and I was saying it often pleases God to use the simplest faith, the simplest messages. I mean, I think of your precious children, mm-hmm. and I could never speak to an unbeliever the way they can, mm-hmm. the way little Jason can, the way any of them can mm-hmm. at any age. There's no way that I'm going to reach someone's heart the way that God can use them at mm. their earliest days to reach someone's heart. Mm. And that yeah. that continues all the way through life. Uh, you know, I, there were, there have been older saints who've been tremendously precious to me. Yeah. And they speak to me and they're in advanced years, they're, you know, approaching the end of their race and they t- the Lord uses them to touch my soul in a way that a younger man just couldn't. Yeah, the way that women have helped me in learning and 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 come come alongside me. We're going to be talking mm. probably a little bit about Priscilla and Aquila. Yeah, man can't do that. 
This was particularly, you know, it's it, God always sends you the right messenger because mm-hmm. he always has the perfect message, but he also always gives you the right means and the right messenger. Yeah. And you, I, I'm encouraging everyone listening, you, dear listener, are going to be that messenger to someone. Amen. I can't say yeah. who because I'm not God, but we're all someone's yeah. messenger. Amen. Amen. Yeah. You know, Acts 8, 4 and 6, you know, I think kind of sums us up a bit and gives us a good picture of this. Acts 8, 4 to 6 says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You know, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. You know, the key thing there is those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And if you go back up to 8, 1, it says that, you know, the whole church was scattered except the apostles, right? So right there you see the apostles who were, quote-unquote, the the super-Christians, you know, they weren't scattered. The rest of the church was scattered. All the laymen were scattered. And it says those who had been scattered, meaning the laity, the regular, you know, members of the church, they preached the word wherever they went, which means they proclaimed the word wherever they went. You know, and I want to share share a beautiful story real quick. Daniel was kind of talking about my children, and, you know, they can speak to someone how I can't, and you know, we were on a trip up in Napa Valley one 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 year for, I think it was my grand my grandfather's ninetieth birthday. We were in a spa at some you know hotel in Napa. My daughter was four or five, and you know the first catechism question in you know the children's you know catechism from Great Commission Publications is who made you, right? And it's you know God made me. That's like question number one. And so my daughter knew that. We'd gone through the catechism, and we were in the spa, and this, you know, it was me and my daughter. She was four or five, and some man, some trucker. And and the trucker was just kind of being kind to my daughter, said like, hey, you know, who made you so beautiful? You know, you're such a, a beautiful little girl. Who made you so beautiful? And my daughter just, you know, without thinking, just said, God. God made me this, this way. And I, I kid you not, that man teared up. He started tearing up when he heard my daughter, my daughter just say, you know, God made me that way. And, you know, it opened the door for us to have a nice conversation about God, about the Bible, about the scriptures. And so, you know, Daniel's right. God can use everyone, even our children. And just know that you are, you are, if you're a Christian, you are a messenger and you have a message. And uh, we're, we're just trying to encourage you to, to bring that message to those around you. Uh, sounds like we're coming up on the edge of a break here, so uh, stay tuned and stay with us, and we'll be back right after these short messages. The mission of apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. 
Hey everybody, welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher and we are in the second half of our show as we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I'm in studio with my good friend Daniel Adrian and tonight we are talking about apologetic lessons from the book of Acts. So we're kind of unpacking Acts a little bit and seeing what we can glean from an apologetic perspective. We kind of looked at the, the first half of the show kind of talking about you know, our call and our commission to be witnesses and what that looks like that, you know, in order to be faithful witnesses, we need to be spending time with Christ, you know, just as, you know, Peter and John, these uneducated men, you know, they were full of courage, full of boldness, and people noticed that, that they had spent time with Jesus. And so we need to be spending time in God's word. We need to spend time communing, communing with him in prayer so that we can be equipped that we can be encouraged, that we can be emboldened to bring his message of salvation to the world around us. You know, we talked about how this is, you know, a day-by-day type thing, that we need to be, you know, reaching out, that we need to be bringing the gospel to people, and that the book of Acts really is a inspired picture of the early church. And so when we see them evangelizing, engaging in apologetics, that is a true biblical model that we can copy and paste into our lives, and we can do that with confidence that uh, if we seek to emulate them, if we see, seek to imitate Paul, you know, as he imitates Christ, as he calls us to do, you know, in, in Corinthians, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ, that, you know, we can be confident that, you know, God will be glorified if we seek to if we seek to do that. And so Paul is obviously a big picture, you know, in the book of Acts and, you know, someone we can learn a lot from. And, you know, we see Paul, you know, as he entered into cities that he customarily headed to the synagogue, you know, every Sabbath and reasoned with the Jews. We also see that Paul started churches, right? He strengthened congregations. He discipled pastors. He discipled Timothy, right? He raised up elders. So, He was obviously doing a lot of outreach, a lot of evangelism, but he was also equipping the church, you know, teaching the whole counsel of God. You know, it says in Acts, for two years or so, Paul just continued teaching the whole counsel of God from house to house, you know, um, on a a daily and weekly basis. You know, in 1 Corinthians 2, it says that, you know, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ— and him crucified. And so, you know, Paul's methodology um, is to proclaim the gospel, right, and to continue to teach and equip as much as he possibly can as long as the Lord allows him to. So wherever you're at in your walk with Christ, you know, you might be a young Christian, you might be a more mature Christian. You know, you are equipped to to be out there engaging with the world around you, you know, and we kind of see that a little bit in, you know, as Daniel referenced, you know, um, with Priscilla and Aquila. And so they, they kind of instructed, you know, people who were out there evangelizing, you know, it says in Acts 18, Apollos, I believe it was, it says that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately Um, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. 
or adequately. And so he was out there with the little bit of theology he had, and he was faithfully sharing sharing it. And Priscilla and Aquila, you know, more mature Christians, they didn't condemn him. They weren't like, you know, man, you don't have your theology straight. You shouldn't be out here doing that. No, they just they just took him took him alongside of them and explained to them the way of God more adequately. And so you don't need a PhD, you don't need a a seminary degree. All you need again is to be, you know, spending time with Jesus and his word and really just having a a love for people, you know, a desire to see them uh reconciled to God. And so I wanted to kind of transition from more of this individual um, evangelistic encouragement, you know, which which will lead to apologetics. You know, when we're when we're sharing the faith, it'll automatically lead to apologetics. You will become a better apologist if you're talking to people about the gospel because they will have questions, and you'll have to you'll have to study. You'll have to, you know, you'll have to fall and stumble and not know and not give good responses and be like, man, I really need to study that more. And it'll give your it'll give your Bible study more focus. It'll give your Bible study more direction. It'll it'll point you to other more learned Christians, uh, to other apologists that have gone before you. It'll it'll point you to the creeds, to the confessions. It'll you know you'll just go so many places to to you know to grow so you can be more prepared and and have you know more biblical answers. And so it's it's really just a a self reinforcing you know kind of activity. The more you the more you share and the more you get out there and do that. Um, but two kind of main passages is Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 17. So you kind of put those kind of in context in the back of your mind. And Acts chapter 2 is kind of uh, the the Apostle Peter, you know, speaking to, you know, the Jews, you know, early on in the book of Acts. And, you know, to help put this in context— you know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians one twenty three that we preach Christ crucified, right? That's what we preach. That's our message. And it says to the Jews, this is a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, this is foolishness. And so the question is, you know, why was the gospel a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks? Why is there a difference there? Why isn't it just a stumbling block to everyone? You know, and how does this relate to sharing the gospel with a, a secular culture that we find ourselves in today's. And so as we unpack these, I think, you know, that'll help give us some context and some understanding to, you know, why it's foolishness to someone and it's a stumbling block to another. So did you want to piggyback on anything on that, Daniel? Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff there. I mean, I would simply say that when we look at our culture, as we were discussing in show prep, Earlier today, when we're looking at our own culture right now, we've kind of transitioned from a culture which maybe you would run across someone and they would say, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think there's a heaven. I think God will let me in uh, to what some scholars are describing as a post-Christian world, mm-hmm. uh, a post-Christian nation. Now, I don't know what they, the secular ones particularly, mean by that, but I know what others mean by that, which is there's the the thin veneer of Christianity that we had is kind of dropping away entirely, is vanishing away mm-hmm. uh, as a culture. So you don't have... And obviously there are counterexamples. There are certain parts of the country which are blessed to be holdouts, right? But you don't have this 
this Christian Christianized or seemingly Christianized culture, this this veneer of Christian culture. So as that's stripped away, when you when you talk to them about the things of Christ and who Christ is, they're going to find it foolish. So they're going to be more like a Grecian, a Greek response, what mm-hmm. we see biblically. Yeah. This is foolishness. I'm a materialist, right? I've written nothing matters except matter because all there is is matter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why that's all that matters. So you're not going to be talking to them. <laughs> you're not going to be uh, leaping immediately into the supernatural with them, the, 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 with right. them the way others you may have been able to. Yeah. But even among the Jews, we have to always be aware and remember right. that there were denialists of supernatural realities among the Jews as well in mm-hmm. biblical times. So it's, uh, it's, it's all a part of the project of contextualizing our apologetics, knowing our yeah. audience, as you well said, and not compromising the message, but making sure that the message hits the ears and the hearts of the hearer the way that it needs to, doing our due Mm -hmm. diligence to reach them, humanly speaking. Obviously, it's God's Mm -hmm. work in converting and convincing, but we need to be faithful in addressing them where they are and how they're feeling and what they're thinking and kind of the worldview they're bringing to the table. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think the example yeah. we talked about earlier is you're not going to talk to a Mormon about Buddhist doctrine. You know, it's right. missing the point. Right, right, right. It's yeah. Not relevant. And so can you give a background? What was the—so I think Peter was insanely um, you know, productive and successful in Acts 2 if you look at the response, right? Maybe 3,000 souls added to their number. Um. What what kind of audience was he speaking to in Acts two? So a very very biblically literate, and they would think believing audience of Jews, right? Mm-hmm. They think they're believers already, and he meets them where they are. He goes through the history. I mean, there's never been a people that I know of who's been more wrapped up with their history than the Jews and those who yeah. profess themselves to be Jews even to this day. Right. That's what sets them apart from Gentiles, mm-hmm. is, among other things. But mm-hmm. it's this rich history of God's dealings with them as the covenant people. Peter goes right to the heart of that, hits them right where they live, and mm-hmm. rehearses this history, and we'll see Stephen do this as well, right, right. before he's stoned to death, mm-hmm. but rehearses this history, but then brings that to the point that not only did you, if I may say, uh, figuratively miss the Messiah, you murdered the Messiah. Right, right. So bringing the history to a screeching halt, as it were, train wrecking it into the law, right? The heartbreak of the law, because the other thing that sets Jews apart from almost any other culture in the history of the world is their commitment to a law, to what they believe to be a divine law. So he brings that to bear right on the heels of this this excellent uh, contextualizing of of their corporate and personal history, their history as individuals and as a people. Mm -hmm. Uh, He brings that law to bear. And I think this is very instructive for us because we need to be doing this with modern Jews. We need to be doing it with anyone who has a compelling history like this uh, because we all have histories to one degree or another, Mm -hmm. but always tying that back into not only the gospel, but the law, right? The fact that they need a savior for their sin. Absolutely. And so we were talking about particular application versus general application, right? So it, their murder of the Jews is particular, 
because mm-hmm. of the historical people, their murder of Jesus, excuse me, they're the Jews, right, right. sorry, uh, murder of Jesus is, is particular, but we, there's the sense in which we've murdered Christ by our sins, yeah. right? So even, even this template can be adapted and can be recontextualized for any sinner. Yeah. Because there, you know, once you find yourself in the people of God, the whole history of the people of God becomes your history by yeah. faith, right? By faith, Abraham is our father. So I think there's a lot to learn from both of these uh, portions, but particularly here with Peter, just that masterful turn to what they did to Christ on the yeah. heels of what they the should history, have been. Right. Yeah. Yeah, great, great unpacking that. And so, you know, maybe, maybe I could, you know, I'll try to tie in more of a specific application of this. But the main idea, yeah, is that he was speaking to a biblically literate audience, right? They had the the historical context of Genesis, of creation, of God, of His law, and so, kind of in a practical sense, you know. When we come across people, let's say we come across a, a Jew, you know, I think we have common ground there in the Old Testament. We have a common ground there in speaking of God's law. You know, same is true, you know, I believe when we're speaking with a Muslim, right? They, there's a respect there for God. There's a respect there for, you know, his law, you know, the, this idea of judgment, this idea of an afterlife. Those sorts of things gives you a certain context with which to navigate the conversation. As Daniel mentioned, you know, Paul um, or Peter here brings in the law. You know, the law is crucial to all of this, right? You must, you know, the law is that that schoolmaster that leads people to Christ and brings in the the true knowledge of sin in our conscience. And so, um, as we read in Corinthians... This was a stumbling block to the Jews. What was it, right? They had the right history. They had kind of the right foundation that put them on kind of this this road, you know, this road that should lead to the gospel, to the Messiah. But their stumbling block was the message of the cross. The stumbling block was this Messiah, you know, that kind of didn't fit the picture. And we kind of have that similar thing going on, right? When we are talking to a Muslim, when we're talking to a a Jew, when we're talking to some, you know, Old Testament-based uh, worldview where they kind of have a respect for the Old Testament, you know, you could maybe lump even Mormons into there or Jehovah's Witnesses into there, you know, the stumbling block for all of those people is this Messiah, this Christ, this Christ figure, you know, and they have the wrong idea of who he is. You know, the Mormons have a wrong view of Christ, the Messiah. The Jews do, the Muslims do. And so it's a stumbling block to them as well today, um, which is why we need to bring in the law, you know, to lead them to Christ. Um, It could be kind of analogous to maybe 50, 60 years ago in America. You know, there was a much more of a cultural ethos, you know, uh, throughout America, you know, much more, quote unquote, Christianized culture, much more biblical literacy, much more biblical morality, you know, prayer in schools, families were more involved in church, you know, they respected the institute of marriage. You know, there was just these these remnants of like a Christian, you know, ethos and played kind of a role in societal life. Um, and so maybe someone like Billy Graham had a lot of success, you know what I mean? Like his message 
he didn't need to dig in like super deep. You know, he kind of talked about sin and people knew what he was talking about. He kind of talked about this need for forgiveness. People kind of knew what he was talking about and, you know, had, you know, good responses. You know, it seemed, seemed, seemed to have good responses, you know, outwardly, you know, the places he was invited, the crowds he spoke to, um, you know, people that were kind of coming to Christ and, you know, giving their, giving their lives to him. And we don't really see that today. There's not a Billy Graham figure going around today that's, you know, people really kind of respect, you know, um, and, you know, are coming to Christ. And I think it's because we no longer live in this Acts kind of two culture, a Christianized culture. We are now, I believe, as we, you know, kind of transition a little bit, we, we live more in an Acts 17 culture um, and where Paul is preaching to the Greeks, right? And, um, you know, what does it say in Corinthians that that the, the cross, you know, was a stumbling block to Jews, but to Greeks it's foolishness. So it's a different thing to a different group of people. Um, you know, before we dig into that real quick, we're coming up on the end of our show. We probably have about, you know, 10 minutes or so left. Uh, if you do, if you'd like to call and chime in, maybe give your thoughts on some of the content, uh, you can. Lines are open. It's 888-995-KKLA. It's 888-995-5552. We'd love to hear from you. Um, so Acts 17, Daniel, he's speaking to a Greek audience. Paul said, you know, the, the message of the cross is foolishness to the Greeks. Um, Acts 17, they said, what does this babbler want to say? You know what I mean? They're, they're looking at Paul. They're men, like, man, this, this guy's just a babbler. Um, there wasn't a lot of respect for him, you know, the way Peter had the respect of the crowd, you know, they were listening. Um, can you, you know, try to unpack this a bit, you know, briefly, this idea of different group, different context, different audience, you know, foolishness to the Greeks, et cetera. What are, you, what are some of your thoughts there? Yeah. So in the way that we talked about a shared sort of theistic water and not only that if you think of the fish swimming in a water right mm-hmm. that they don't know that it's water they don't know that they're swimming in it but they're swimming in a theistic and and at least paying lip service to the old testament water all these different religions philosophies cults that's what we were dealing with earlier i may have misspoke but in getting to stephen stephen also the hostility shown to him, right? It culminates in a different way mm. with him being stoned to death. Not not trying to confound that with Acts 17. But here in Acts 17, mm-hmm. we see Paul proclaiming to uh, fish who are swimming in a different sort of water, right? They've been catechized into a paganistic philosophy. That's the air they breathe. So to them, the idea of a man rising from the grave is utterly foolish, of God having a son and sending him to redeem the world. Utterly foolish. Things that really sort of intersect with and connect to what I was talking about earlier, what some scholars describe as a post-Christian culture now. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've we've transitioned into I, I think a lot of times the default view is hostile to Christianity in one of two ways. Either they're spiritual in the rejection of Christianity, so they, they have a place for spirituality, but away from the Bible, or they're Mm -hmm. hard materialists, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's going to be either a a spiritualized humanism or a material—a spiritualistic humanism or a materialistic humanism. And both of those are going to blasphemously proclaim the gospel to be foolish because they've either a priori or they've either before the fact rejected or they've rejected it 
after the fact saying, no, I, you know, I grew up around that or I heard that and I, I don't think that's good. And so you're dealing with what Paul does is he goes to the, this, his intended audience here and he connects with exactly what they pay lip service to. And he proclaims that he knows the unknown God that they, they say, well, it's unknown to them, right? Skipping ahead. Mm -hmm. But even before that, Right, he he's condemning them as too superstitious. So he doesn't even he doesn't even make the connection yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, some people try to soften that, but I think, you know, it, it it has weight to it. It carries. I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Mm-hmm. In all things, all of you are too superstitious. Mm-hmm. There, that would be, obviously, evolution is. You know, what? what is Frank Turek? I don't have enough faith to believe in evolution, to be an atheist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scientific, it's a, it's a pseudoscientific uh, superstition, but it's still this incredible superstition. And then on the spiritual side, I think that's much more apparent to our audience. It's much more easily apprehensible, ready to your eye to see people will believe in anything. It feels like, you know, crystals, the new age, astrology. There's so many things that they're superstitious about. So mm-hmm. it's it's important for us to, in preparing to speak with our 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 target, <laughs> mm-hmm. our the person we're trying to minister to, it's important to connect to whatever their unknown God is, if I may speak figuratively, because right. they have right. one. Yeah. Right. And so for the materialists, it's going to be science and man and progress, mm-hmm. and for the spiritualist, it's going to be spirituality and man and progress. And usually the connecting line between those two groups is this myth of progress, that everything's going to get better as we learn and as we grow, Mm -hmm. either through the scientific method or through some spiritual process. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's again, stressing this, this vital need to have a biblical contextualization of what we're doing, never compromising, never watering down, Mm -hmm. but also addressing the person where they are and in what they believe and and in the manner that is best suited to reaching them. Some people you can be firmer with. Obviously, the inspired apostle here is, I, I think, pretty firm with these folks. Yeah. And as you read, they were, <laughs> they were pretty outright hostile to him. Mm-hmm. Vain babbling, you know, these sort of things. Right, right. Yeah. So uh, it, yeah. you're going to, you're, you're never going to um, what's the word? Exacerbate. You're never going to raise the temperature, but sometimes you are going to meet with equal heat, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to have a more um, direct, not mm-hmm. contentious, but direct encounter with someone who comes at me, comes in hot, as we say, you know, who comes in really fiery. And I'm, I'm not going to, you know, a soft answer turneth away wrath. So if yeah. I can pull that off, but if they're trying to, there will, pe- there will be people who tr- seek to humiliate you in a group. Mm-hmm. And right. so you're you're going to deal with them differently than someone who says even very aggressively one on one, "Hey, what about this?" Mm-hmm. Which we get those that unending series of questions. Yeah. So I think we have a multifaceted model here that gets oversimplified, which we yeah. have a it's a temptation to do. But mm-hmm. not only does he connect them to their own view, but really quickly he then stresses that they're that. Christ, the Lord, has made of one blood all nations of men. Yep. So he connects them to everyone else, right? So yeah. 
Interestingly here, the Jews and the Greeks have a similar problem, which is a problem of ethnic superiority. The Greeks mm -hmm. think that they're the wisest of the world, and the Jews think that they're the chosen of God. And both, in both presentations, they are humbled by the truth of God's word. Yeah. Their ethnicity, their peoplehood, is pr brought into its proper context mm -hmm. as being of Adam. Yeah. We're all in Adam. And we desire all to be in Christ and the second Adam, the last Adam, and therefore be saved. Amen. Yeah, and so, you know, you have two different responses, right? Great, great analysis on that, Daniel. Um, and you see in the end, 17 verses 32 to 34, it says, Some mocked, others said, We'll hear you again. Some joined him and believed. Now, he didn't get 3,000 converts, but... From this is like going into you know a group of atheist professors at you know Berkeley University, and some of them coming out as believers, going from atheism to belief, you know in in the span of you know Paul's you know debating with them, and so was Paul successful? I would say he was he was very successful, you know in in getting some of those people with that wrong foundation to come completely to the point where where some believed. And so what Paul had to do is to kind of bring in the proper foundation to look at the audience that he was dealing with and to kind of to de-Greekize them in a sense, to turn Greeks into Jews, so to speak, right? To give them this proper foundation of, you know, God, you know, them being of one blood, that God is the creator, kind of going back to the history in Genesis bringing in sin and bringing in the law, bringing in the gospel, you know, and kind of doing all of that, you know, groundwork, tilling of the soil so that some might believe. And so, you know, we just want to encourage you to kind of, you know, take these truths from, you know, Acts 2, Acts 17 to understand your audience and to know, you know, how, how to approach them as you bring them the message of the good news of the gospel. And so with that, I want to say thank you to Daniel for being here in studio tonight. Thank you to Gabe for being on the ones and twos. Haven't seen him for a while. And to all you listeners out there, thank you for listening. This is Jason Gallagher with Apologetics.com, and we'll see you next Friday night at midnight. God bless you.